How are you once again on this amazing, amazing Saturday? Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful day it is. We have been dealing with some serious, serious heat wave weather, uh, and but we're almost clear. We're just about finished with that. But I got to tell you, please, uh, every single day, make sure that your pets, that you are giving them clean, fresh water, just like you should be drinking clean, fresh water as well. You're listening to Rochelle Wilson here. Make some intelligent noise, the justice movement for equal and systemic justice across the board for black, brown, and golden people, our indigenous people, natives to this land. Thank you so much once again for allowing me in your presence. I give thanks and praise each and every Saturday from one until two and every Wednesday from four until five, our political power hour, that you allow me into your presence in your earbuds, allowing me to make love to your intelligence and uh, we can move forward from there. So thank you so much. I appreciate being in your presence and stay with me, ladies and gentlemen. Today I have with me a very important guest. As always, I always select important guests because I'm here to bring you the community. I'm here to bring you news and information so that you can make intelligent decisions and choices moving forward. All right. And with me today, I have House Representative Mr. Larry Lambert. Let's welcome him into the studio. Thank you so much for being here, Larry. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Let's make some intelligent noise. The justice movement. I love this show. I love you. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for everyone listening. There's a lot of change that's needed. I'm fired up and we can all get there together. Sounds good. Let's start off in case there's someone out there. Uh, there's a possibility that someone does not know who Larry Lambert is. Uh, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? How are you? Are you a Delaware native? Absolutely. Born and raised in Claymont, Delaware, where I am honored to represent. It is the childhood home district of President Biden. And for me, being born and raised in Claymont, seeing the positive, seeing the challenges, the opportunities for improvement, I was really honored in 2018 when my community asked me to run. And although we came 86 votes shy, we persevered. We never gave up. And in 2020, we won by almost 700 votes. So in November, I was honored to be to have my first reelection. We got 71.8 percent of the vote. But everything I do is community center. There is no me. It's all about we. And for our communities, our communities know what they need. They know what their solutions are. We have to begin with listening. Now, I've got to tell you, uh, I've been a Delaware resident probably 15 years or so. I'm not a native of Delaware, but I've been here 15 years. And the Claymont area was having a few troubles for a while there. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about what you've done to correct some of those incorrections. So it isn't that Claymont has had troubles for a little while. They've had troubles there the whole time that I've been there. And what happens is in Claymont, we haven't had, we haven't had a resident of Claymont represent Claymont this century until I came in office in 2020. And ultimately, that's one of the problems that we have. Claymont is not incorporated. Claymont doesn't physically exist as a city or a town. And when you have a population density of twelve to of 10 to 12,000 people, we have the same challenges and ills that normal cities have. 
And in that regard, without having local say, local controls, it leads to a vacuum. And sometimes that vacuum is filled by those that don't want the best, those that look at you as a dinner plate and come to eat. So for me, uh, when my community, local neighbors, local small businesses asked me to run, it was an honor because I saw the problems too. I functioned as a community leader. Uh, I was a teacher. I, I volunteered at the senior center. But when I took this next step, I really got to see on the inside what's really going on. So as a state representative, my role is two parts. It's a lawmaker for the entire district of 25,000 people. So my day-to-day -day role isn't Claymont. My day-to-day -day role is all of these 7th House District, which includes Winhurst, Brandywine 100, Holyoke, et cetera. So the idea of focusing on Claymont, prioritizing Claymont, I should say, is what I do as an individual because it's the majority of my district. However, that's not my role. My role is to write laws in Dover, and then my other half is to connect individuals to constituent services. Now, neither of those roles that I just said are really about, like, city building, nation building, community building. Like, that's what I willfully choose to do. But Claymont is a type of area that really has a lot of urban concerns, and I try to meet them, although it's not necessarily specifically in my job purview. Well, we're lucky to have you then uh, to represent Claymont, uh, considering that it has not yet been established as a city or town. Uh, the first thing that comes into my mind, I want to talk money and funding. How does Claymont get funding for anything if you're not an established city or town? So that's an outstanding question. I really appreciate that. Of the 51 municipalities across the state, if Claymont was incorporated, Claymont would be roughly the sixth or seventh largest one. Uh, in regards to size, we're just smaller than Middletown and just larger than Glasgow and Bear. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, if Claymont was a city, we would be larger than any city in Sussex. If we were in Kent, we would be second only to Dover. And again, in that regard, with the issues that we have, the way that any resources come into Claymont, for example, let me take my role. Okay. As a state representative, I am one of 41 state representatives across the state. Any resources that I want to personally bring to Claymont are resources that I have to bring to the whole state level. And it to has all to of the districts that you just the, mentioned yeah, that you represent across the whole state, yeah, just I, to get money into just to get something for Claymont, Claymont, I have to do something that is palatable, agreeable, and votable for individuals in Delmar, Sussex County, and you know, in in Camden of Kent County. That's what I have to do just to bring home something for my community. Wow, that's, that's a, a heck of a process. job. Yes. That's a heck of a job. That's a lot of work, Larry. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm honored to do it. I'm happy to do it. And I look out for my entire 7th House District. And um, and we're just really meeting the community where, where they're at. It seems like such a, a bro broken up, like 
when I think of politics and, and some of the other elected officials uh, and they tell me about their district, it's all together. Yours is like all over the place, it appears to be. Yeah, we have a lot of different pockets. We have a lovely community known as the Ardens, which are three separate uh, small municipalities, Arden, Ardencroft, Arden Town. And for me, I love to make sure I'm engaging all of the communities. I'm always active in everything. Um, but in regards to my hometown, you know, it was it was so much fun growing up in Claymont, going to Maplewood Elementary School. I graduated from Brandywine High School where I substituted a little bit. But a lot of the young people know me as Mr. Larry. I was a director of arts programming at the Claymont Boys and Girls Club that was out of the Claymont Community Center. So teaching art was the best job in the world. And for me, uh, being at this next level, I still get to engage with young people. This past Aren't they the best? It, I mean, you know, people you can say a lot of things about our young people today, but I, I also was a teacher. I did it for 12, 13 years, uh, maybe a little longer, but I, it was the most happiest time of yes. my life, no matter what else was going on with me personally. Every day that I showed up at the school with my children, they were my babies. Right, and I love right. them. <laughs> People say some of the darndest things about our children. And yes, we know they have some issues. Um, but the only way to get rid of those issues is to open your mouth and speak to them and say hello and, and be a part of their lives. Let them know that they matter. Absolutely. I think that's amazing. And so... What are some of the things that you have done or that you're currently working on? I was looking at your your bio for Legislative Hall, and you're involved in quite a few different little things there. But the one that caught my attention, of course, the most as a mother of an incarcerated son, you're on the Justice Council or committee or something. Could you tell us a little bit about that and what that does? Absolutely. So what you're referencing is I was the founder and the co-chair of the Delaware Justice 40 Oversight Committee. Justice 40 references, is a reference from President Biden's climate change executive order, executive order 14008, that he brought forward within his first few weeks in office. That Justice 40 simply means that when it comes to the federal government's uh, federal funding coming down to the 50 states, that at least 40% of those investment benefits go to our most overburdened communities. So those are the investments around labor, uh, sea level rise, climate change, green jobs, green energy. And in that regard, we establish an oversight committee. So as a legislator, I don't have power to disseminate funds. However, we have that oversight, which is one of our responsibilities. And to oversight, if, am I correct? Oversight simply means that you're, you're checks and balances. That's correct. Okay, I so, wanted to, you're the guard. You're the guard dogs. Exactly. Good. We have Good. to be prudent fiduciaries of your money. Yes. Of the state's money. Yes. Uh, your tax dollars. And in that regard, one of the things that we look at is labor. We look at you know, um, funds coming down to the Route 9 corridor. I, I just had a meeting with uh, with some individuals. And uh, although that Justice for the Oversight Committee doesn't specifically deal with criminal justice reform, I just left a, a, a space where we talked about some bills involving criminal justice. So, for example, um, in the House, there is a bill on the table that would make uh, the selling of drugs a violent felony in certain quantities. And one of the things that, that is concerning in that space is we have to make sure that when we're looking at putative measures, 
um, in regards to, you know, people dealing with substance abuse disorder, people engaging in the illicit economy because the daylight economy isn't working for them. We have to make sure we're looking at things in a just and equitable way. We can't just keep criminalizing things and expecting things to change themselves. No, Delaware has one of the highest recidivism rates in the nation. And in that regard, we have to make sure that our Department of Corrections is actually correcting something. Well, you know, I had Matt Meyer here um, uh, not so long ago, and he and I were talking about it. And one of the things he said uh, that really I agree with, Delaware and America, really, is a very punitive nation. We want to punish everybody for the, you know, stealing a bubble gum. You're, it's a thief. It's a felony. Put them in jail forever, right? But one of the things that Matt Meyer said, if we're going to put these people in jail, all right, then let the Department of Corrections begin the correcting process immediately. Don't wait until the year before they're released right. and start programming. Can we get some programs and some some rehabilitation right away? Because some of the people that are doing the crimes, as you said, uh, I think your your wording was nighttime illicit economy. I'm going to remember that. Thank you. <laughs> so... If they're engaging in the illicit economy, they need mental help. They need they need help, but it's not in prison. Prison is not where they need to be. Exactly. What is the possibility of the state of Delaware anywhere building a place just for those types of situations? Is that possible or not? So we need vision from leaders like you. We need vision from the community because as I began, the, our communities have solutions. They've lived this sometimes for generations. They know what ills have, have caused the problems they have, and they know the solutions that can undo it as well. Um, my day job, I work in workforce development, engaging individuals that are second chance individuals, justice involved individuals, and we put them on pathways to working, getting meaningful careers in organized labor, an organization known as LEAP, Labor, Economics, Education, and Empowerment. Oh, and this, rock, past, this past week, I taught them, I, I taught the class on um, discrimination and harassment, sexual harassment. The week before, I taught the class on business etiquette, um, interviewing, resume review, and the reception has been so great. Right now, we have 16 young people, including seven young ladies that are on the CDL driver's track. So they're going into the Teamsters Union. And, and going into union work also provides them those protections to make sure that when something happens, when somebody with the right last name, somebody that comes from the right background comes for their job. No, job security. They can, they can have, they can make sure that when issues come up, somebody has their back. Because what happens is there's a lot of workforce development programs where at the end you might get a certification and they'll tell you good luck. The, the LEAP Pathways to Apprenticeship program has what they call direct placement. At the end of the process, you are placed in an apprenticeship career, and that's how you break the chains of intergenerational poverty. My father grew up down South Bridge, um, and he he was able to break some of the chains of intergenerational poverty by going into the Electrical Workers Union. He was there for 27 years. My brother now works in the Carpenters Union. So this union work, the, those ideals of solidarity aren't just theoretical. They change the course of the of my 
of my family's life. We now have the autonomy. My father was able to raise his family up in Claymont, you know? So now I have different opportunities and now I'm able to run for elected office. Now I'm able to change things from the inside. Yes. Bravo. I'm so proud of you. You You know, we see each other out and about. We say hello. We give each other a hug and then we keep it moving. We don't get to talk as much as we should. And as you're talking, the wheels are turning in my brain. Uh, So I definitely want to work with you on some collaborating uh, interests. Uh, Much to my surprise, I I don't know how it happened. I'm still trying to digest it. Uh, But recently I was voted in as the um, Civic Association president, president of the Civic Association for the 2500. Excellent. Yeah, I don't know how that happened, though, right? I don't know how it happened, but it is. And so now my brain is running around. Like, how can I empower my neighborhood, my community? And I believe it's like a 12-block radius, which is a nice large amount of of human beings in that section. So I want to work with you on some things because I have some ideas. I look forward to it. (laughs) Uh, So tell us a little bit about what is... What are one of the things as as an elected public servant that you're passionate about? What is your favorite, most passionate thing that that you do? You know what? I I began to think of other answers, but it's the kids. It's the babies. (laughs) The young people will be inheriting this world. Yes. We have to create the conditions and solutions for them to even have a world to inherit. And for me, one of the things that I do personally, when I have a campaign meeting, when I have a personal meeting, I don't even begin it until I have a young person present because I'm not going to make decisions on behalf of young people without hearing from young people. And I remember being young and trying to engage. I I engage in politics at a young age. I engage in different community initiatives and all. And when people listen to me, it really, it really made a big difference. And that's why I like to give back by creating those same spaces for young people. I remember when um, on election day, uh, the year before I had two young people from, Con- as a matter of fact, three young people from Concord High School. I, I don't know what they're doing. They're just really producing. <laughs> and it was just beautiful to just see them coming up with plans and ideas and everything. One of them's visiting back from uh, college this summer. So I'm going to catch up with him. So um, yeah, I, I I just really like to prioritize and make sure that our young people are getting the resources they need. Yesterday, I was at the Norwood Community Center uh, under the outstanding leadership of Shirley Ibramoff, and we dropped off some books, some supplies, some toys for the kids and all. And, you know, it's really just about engaging. It's about being present. And and for me, I just want to give a big shout out to all the teachers like yourself for the outstanding work that you're doing. (laughs) A lot of people talk bad about our young people, but there are wonderful things that our young people are doing, yes. that they're engaged with. Yes. So uh, like uh, our mutual friend, Reverend Dr. Twinby Brown, let's make sure the yes. positive all signs and negative. Yes, yes. <laughs> there, uh, the lady, uh, for, uh, Dr. Um, oh, I can't think of her name, God forgive me, but the doctor who's writing his book, his oh, yes. memoir, uh, contacted me and, and uh, we were able to talk a little bit about that. But I gotta tell you, in just dovetailing off of what you just said, I think the children are always the most fun and passionate thing. Yesterday, I spoke with five of my personal community 
five of the most um, interesting children. Can I? What should I call them? <laughs> the neighborhood has a whole language for what they want to call oh, yeah. these these five boys. Um, but these are the same five boys that I put in my car, took them to Wawa. They had never had a fruit smoothie before. Uh, they had never been to Wawa before and, and done those kind of things. So I asked them, what would you like to see in your community? That's right. You know what one said? The one who carries the guns the most, mm-hmm. he said, I'm good at computers. I want to be in engineering. Wow. Are you serious? He shoots up the neighborhood with a gun, right? Which I will not ever disclose his name. Uh, but that particular young person is a computer genius. Wow. So we want to help them. Beautiful. Wow. You see what I'm saying? So people can say a lot of things about our children, but I think when you really just take a few minutes and invest a few minutes in, in time with them, you, you're going to get a whole lot of good stuff come out. Absolutely. You just reminded me um, when I was running for office in 2018, I went into one of our more challenged, more vulnerable communities. And I said to a neighbor, they were complaining about the drug dealing and all. And I said, who's the biggest drug dealer out here? Point them out. They pointed at the person down the street, gave me their name. I walked up to the individual from behind and I said, hey, how you doing? And the person turned around and he was like, oh, Mr. Larry. I didn't realize that his younger brother and sister were students of mine from the Boys and Girls Club, from the Great My Boys and Girls Club. And I said to him, I said, you know, how's the job hunt looking? How's everything? I had remember talking to him before. And I said, how's the job hunt looking? Let me help you out with your resume. Let, let me help you out with some, you know, some applications and everything. And we got to talking and discussing and he shared what some of his goals were, you know? And the thing is, we live in a space where people are afraid of some of our young people. You know, um, you know, they want to talk about the bad stuff going on and all. Sometimes you just have to engage. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to just connect and talk it out. At the end of the day, they are human. Yes. And they, and are they have babies. thoughts and they have feelings and they want more than life. I mean, most of the drug dealers don't want to be standing they there don't. as drug dealers, you know, uh, and the kids who are involved in shooting uh, guns, you know, they don't, that's not what they want. That's just the, that's just the platform that they're on. So I always encourage my audience, if you see a young person, rather than hold your head down and walk by them, just say, hello. Just speak. Hey, how you doing today? You never, you just don't know. They may say something nice back in return. If anything, they're going to be surprised. Like, wow, did they just talk, speak to me? Because we don't talk to them. So, but uh, after going all off on a tangent about the children, uh, I want to get focused back in on you as an elected official, uh, as a public servant. What made you choose this path uh, as an elected public servant when you could have done other things or remained as a teacher? Why go into politics? Uh, Thank you for asking. So after I left teaching, I went into the space of corporate banking. And that was to get my money right, pay off my mortgage, drive the Cadillac, have a certain quality of life that I wanted in my 30s. But what happened was I was always still involved in the community. So I was co-chair of Delaware's Livable Wage Coalition, advocating, fighting for a livable wage because anybody that's putting in 40 hours of work for any business deserves to live in economic dignity. 
and not have to, you know, apply for food stamps in order to sustain their living for crying out loud. I also was co-chair and founder of Delaware's Banking Desert Initiative, bringing basic banking services to the unbanked and the underbanked in the Route 9 corridor. Yeah. Um, there were individuals cashing paychecks at liquor stores, cashing paychecks at payday loan places, being exploited, economically yeah. exploited. So um, that re, uh, that initiative has, ha has had some good results. We've had a student uh, branch at the William Penn High School. We have a full service branch uh, coming to South Bridge that we're working on. So when I was doing all of this work and engaging with different communities and all, when State Representative Brian Short announced his retirement in February of 2018, it left a vacuum. And all of a sudden, people started reaching out to me and they're like, hey, Larry, we don't even know these cats that are running. We know you. You do the work. We, we trust you. Have you ever thought about running? So <laughs> I put my fears out in the community to gauge the temperature, see what the community thought. One neighbor said, I'll be your treasurer. Another neighbor said, I'll be your campaign manager. And we just ran. There was no wow. finesse. We were just like punching through concrete, just, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the people's team. And we, and although we came up short, 86 year old shot, we were the closest race in the state. We never gave up. And two years later, we had the largest victory over any incumbent in the state. And for me, it's really about just giving the community a voice. It's about, you know, being, it's, it's really about just being present, listening delivering, serving. I see it as a form of service. It is service. Um, the first time I ever heard the word public servant uh, came through the lips of Miss Council Representative Michelle Harley. And I had to ask her, well, what is a public servant? And uh, she explained it to me. And a public servant and a politician are really two different things. They really are two, two totally different things. And so I know at Legislative Hall, we've got some politicians but I also know we've got some good public servants Thank you, as well, and I appreciate that. So what are some of the bills that are on the table now? Even if they're not your bills, what are some of the important bills that people should be paying attention to and looking at right now? Even myself, I, I'm, I would love to know. Absolutely. So there's a number of different bills out there that are really making a difference. Uh, some of the bills that I've actively been working on, I can't speak on them until we have our formal rollout. Oh, okay. That's where you get into the politician side, yeah. you know. Trust and believe. When it when we start talking about meaningful, transformative change for our impacted communities, there are entities and stakeholders out there that don't really want that. And in that regard, because they make money off of our suffering. And, 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 I, and I've got to say it. I've got to say it. you Amen. may not be allowed to say it, but I'm a radio journalist. I can say anything I want to <laughs> say except curse words. <laughs> yeah, there are people who actually they make money. They do very well as long as people are being held down. And I'll take it back to the prison. The federal government gives, I believe it's $38,000 per inmate for to the state for having. So maybe that's why Delaware is one of the largest massive incarceration states outside of, I believe it's Louisiana. Wow. Uh, and then as you stated, we have a large recidivism rate. Mm -hmm. Everything is punitive. We want to put everybody in jail. But there's got to be alternatives to prison. Right. And then once they're in prison, you know, I got to say, just last night I talked to my son. Uh, he's been there now for 15 years in the prison. And every time it gets above 80 or 90 degrees, they turn on the extra fans. 
no air condition, just fans. So just imagine being in a in a closed in space with 180 people and it's nothing but hot air blowing in fans. Oh my God. Yeah, like how humane is that? I'm breathing in what he's breathing out and vice versa. And God help me if he's sick, because now we're all going to get sick, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really kind of big on, on that. Are there any initiatives on the table uh, with that, with, you know, just the prison system? Anything going on in there? So one of the bills that I was happy to be a part of is Senator Pinckney, uh, one of my good friends in the General, General Assembly, one of the hardest working. I love her. There. Yeah, she's good. She's working on her ombudsman bill. Uh, which incorpor- incorporates a lot of different uh, criminal justice reforms. And one of the components of that bill that, that I brought to her was a component around um, making sure that one of the contingencies that happened during COVID was that um, justice-involved individuals were able to do their probation check-ins uh, via virtual uh, uh, technology. And I was working on a bill that would independently bring that forward but working with great senators like Senator Pinckney, we were able to incorporate that component of the bill into her omnibus bill, pardon me. Okay. And for me, working on bills like that, that cover a lot of different pieces like that, that is a good strategy because what happens is you may like a few things, you may be challenged by some other things that are a little more progressive, a little yeah. more meaningful, yeah. but to put them all together, that's how we can get change really passed in a really strategic, effective way. Yes, I love the way you say that, strategically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and important. I'm definitely going to remember to use I- illicit economy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and so another person that is also very good in working with our justice impact is House Representative Melissa Minor Brown. Yes. Oh, she is a beast, right? How about she's a powerhouse? Do you have any work? Are you doing anything with her? It's funny you ask that because my initial meeting, my first meeting, even discussing uh, making um, making permanent that contingency bill for check-ins via virtual technology, I went to her first. Yeah. So she was the one that, you know, encouraged me to work with Senator Pinney. So yes, I do work with her. Yeah, yeah. She's a powerhouse. She's good at bringing folks in and getting people involved. And when she wants something, uh, you, you're just not going to sit her down in the back of the row seat. She's not going to sit out in the back of the seat. So uh, what, what are some other things that you know that you wanted to share with your constituency or, or the listening audience that perhaps I haven't asked you about but I would be interested to know. So thank you for that. When it comes to my district, uh, House District 7, there are issues and positive things going on across our entire district. Uh, one of the things that has been a priority for the whole district is potentially getting access to the river again. So Claymont was known as a beach town for centuries, all the way back to the indigenous Lene Lenape tribes. Really? That access to the river was cut off when I-495 and the I-95 bypass came in in 62. And without that access to the river, it lessens our access to green space. It lessens our access to outdoor physical activities, social engagement, some of the things that our more challenged communities need. And in fact, um, the land that we're looking at, so the owner of the old Claymont Steel site, uh, the new owner is known as Commercial Development Corps. 
So they've offered to donate the 100 acre patch of land between the railroad tracks and the water. And I worked with, I volunteered on the board for the Claymont Renaissance Development Corporation for nine years. Um, and what we did was we worked with the University of Delaware Coastal Resiliency Design Studio, and we came up with a proposed riverfront park concept plan for Claymont. And I'm really happy to announce that as of the last couple of weeks, the Bezos Earth Fund, their Greening America Cities initiative made Claymont one of the first five recipients of that grant. And we have $1.5 million from the Bezos Earth Fund coming to Claymont towards that park concept. That is wonderful. When it actually gets up and running, will you please be, allow me to be one of the first to walk me through it? Will you walk me Absolutely. through it? Absolutely. I'd be honored to have you. I would love that. I would love it. Should I bring a bathing suit? <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. No, <laughs> now that Claymont water, we're a little too close to market, so we don't want people in the water. <laughs> right. You, you can definitely fish. We, we yes. look forward to potentially <clears throat> having a boat marina and, and you know, restaurant amenities. Um, pavilion. So it's really going to be a lovely yeah. uh, community friendly park because we want to create those green spaces for our yeah. communities to come together. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard you use the word green at least five or six times in this interview. Uh, so I, I recently just became a powerhouse when it comes to saving the planet. Excellent. Because I realized like it just dawned on me one day, like, gee whiz, this is the only planet we've got and we're destroying her. Oh, yeah. And uh, like you said, said, if we don't do something to save the planet now, we won't have anything to leave our posterity. That's right. There'll be nothing for her. Right. So, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what can people do? I say recycle. Plastic is the enemy to Mother Earth. What advice or guidance can you give us? How can we save planet Earth? There are many ways that you can save the planet. And one of the ways you can, you can start is by having discussions like this. There's a lot going on out there and a lot of little small ways that you can contribute. For example, one of the ways that you can contribute is to lowering your greenhouse gas emissions. Sometimes when we have that breezy, cool night, go ahead and shut off the air conditioner, you know? Right, right. Uh, sometimes when there's, <clears throat> when there's an opportunity, when you hear of an initiative around solar energy, go ahead and take that second listen. Go ahead and set up that meeting to see if there's an opportunity for you to connect in that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you have uh, the solar panels, pardon me, when you engage in that solar energy, you can not only save on your, uh, save on your energy, however, you can even um, store up energy and, and have it for later. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different things going on. And one of the things that I want to offer too is the economic piece. So when we talk about the illicit economy, uh, one of the things I like to engage with too is the idea of green jobs and green technologies. So um, one of the sites here in Delaware that's a finalist for an opportunity for the Green Hydrogen Hub, there's a few states that are becoming green hydrogen hubs, is the Delaware City Refinery. So not only would that be an opportunity for uh, clean hydrogen energy, there's going to be a solar farm there. Um, there's going to be uh, wind energy there, all renewable, all good for our environment. Yeah. Um, what's happening is I'm tying in, I'm also interested in tying in the component 
of labor, of economics. So what would happen is they already have an appetite for more challenged communities. Some of our justice involved young individuals for them to get on pathways to getting careers, to getting trained pre-apprenticeship programs. So for me, you know, when we talk about saving the planet, there's ways that we can do that while also connecting to the economic opportunity that's there. I love that. I love that. And we've got to teach our young people how to be more green friendly, earth friendly. Absolutely. So I, I love doing that and actually creating jobs for them. You know, I, I forgot who it was that told me, but they said, if you, as long as you have a trade, you can get paid. That's right. That's, That's right. Right. Whether it's carpentry, electrician, um, engineer, trade always is, is always needed. Absolutely. Yeah. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Um, anything else that I should have asked and I have not. No, this has been super helpful. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to some of the committees that I serve on in Dover, I am I was the first person of color. Um, to serve on the Natural Resources Committee. So that was where we started talking about economic, pardon me, where we started talking about environmental justice, um, making sure that our overburdened communities that have been disproportionately impacted by pollution, by heavy industry. So for me, um, I think that it's very important that our voices are at the table because our communities are the ones disproportionately impacted by these ills. Mm -hmm. In fact, the first bill that I wrote, I hand wrote it. I didn't know I didn't have to hand write it. I, I didn't know we had drafting lawyers that helped out. So I wrote the bill and I brought it forward. And they were like, Larry, you did 90% of this. Like, what like you didn't wrote the whole bill. So that bill was around wireless emergency alerts during catastrophic chemical releases. So Thanksgiving Sunday of 2018, we had the crota ethylene oxide leak in the Route 9 corridor where my brother and my nephews live. In fact, my nephews were going to the uh, Newcastle Charter School, which was 0.7 miles away from the plant. And that bill, what it does is during that crota ethylene oxide leak, ethylene oxide is a highly flammable carcinogen and thousands of gallons leaked out of that site which yes. is right next to a residential community. I may have heard something about that. And, and what happened was when that when that leak happened, um, the community was notified via landlines, whereas only 14% of Delawareans utilize landline as their main form of communication. So my thing is we have to make sure that we're utilizing the best technology. You know, it isn't 1980 anymore. Right. We have to make sure we're utilizing wireless technology, which over 70% of Delawareans uses their only form of phone communication. So although a couple of communities were geospatially targeted during that incident, all of the communities, all of the diverse communities weren't notified via that way. So now when there is a, a, an incident of a catastrophic chemical release that can pose an immediate harm to, uh, to uh, life or health, yeah. in that regard, there will be geospatial targeting to that entire area the same way that Amber Alerts work as well as severe weather emergency alerts work. Yes. And I was really proud that that was my first formal piece of legislation that I wrote. And got oh, that. I'm so proud of you. And that's very good. And it's very important. The thing is, if we get that alert on our phones, what do, what do we do then? Where do we go? So what's very helpful about that alert is that it 
not only communicates what's going on, but it also indicates what you should do. So okay. for example, if the alert is to stay at home, shelter in place, then you'll get that. If the alert is to, you know, evacuate events, oh. close your windows, you'll get that. If the order is to evacuate, it'll tell you that. It can also tell you the evacuation places you should go to. Okay. So in that regard, you're getting all the information you need. And it's and when we say wireless emergency wireless emergency alerts. We're not simply talking about phones. We're talking about all wireless devices. So if you're on an Amazon reader, if you're playing your video games at home, yes. if you have a little Apple Watch yes, or something, yes. regardless of the wireless technology, it will reach you wherever you are. Good. And when we start talking about our seniors, um, some of them may be a little hard of hearing, so that audible alarm might not work, you know. Um, Americans are really updating some of their home theater systems, yeah. so the kids playing the video games and everything might not hear an audible alarm, but everybody is engaging in technology these days. Yeah. Even a senior at home watching TV is yes. going to get the alert. I've so, seen them. It's so funny. <laughs> the 90-year-old people trying to work this stuff. God bless them. <laughs> we love them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's powerful. And I want to say bravo to you for doing that. Thank, Thank you, you so much. We need that. And the biggest piece is I'm thinking in my mind, me, if you said something like that and evacuate, I would not know where to go. So having that piece of information is very helpful Absolutely. to know where I should go in that type of a crisis. Absolutely. So that's very good. And that is now implemented. That is implemented or that's coming? Not only has that been successfully implemented, but an incident happened and I was able to test it in real time. Okay. There was an incident. I don't know if you, uh, it was it was a small story, but it happened. There was an incident where peroxide leaked on I-95 coming north, I believe. And there was a, there was a emergency alert that went out to that geographic area of impact. I believe it was near the 141 exit on I-95. And what I personally did, I called the businesses around there. I called that Wawa right by Corporate Commons yeah, Boulevard. Yeah. I called there and I asked to speak to the management and they said, yes, we got it on our phone. Yeah. I called the Hopes. Oh, it was right by the Hope Center. Yes. Um, I called there, called the uh, management there, asked them if they got it and they confirmed that employees got it there too. That might not have been the process if the bill didn't pass. And I just want to take this opportunity to uh, thank DEMA, the Delaware Emergency Management Association. I want to thank Newcastle County Emergency Management. All of them worked with me on the bill to make sure that yes. it was done right. Yes. So in that regard, uh, that's what it looks like when we listen to our communities, because that solution came from the community up. That's beautiful. I love that. And I want to go back because it's the bubble rolling around in the back of my head when you talked about, uh, just going back for a second, about the water in Claymont. And, and it's going to be very nice and, and a beautiful area for all of us to enjoy. Maybe family barbecues and picnics, all whatever that, we can do. Good. I have to, you say in 1962 is when they built that corridor. Yeah. I have to ask, you know, and forgive me, I'm not the smartest cookie in the jar. Did that have anything to do with redlining? Could that have been any of that? Because we know that some of the redlining took place when they did bring in the highway that separated the west side from the rest of you know the rest of the, the community. So from a historic standpoint, it's been doc first of all, thanks for that question. From a historic standpoint, it's been documented that when they had challenges building 95 from Maine all the way through Miami. 
that when they were trying to figure out where the road would go, that it that in some areas they pinpointed black communities as where the highway would go through to have a less of, a, of an impact on the more established mainstream communities. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Claymont essentially being bisected by I-95 and I-495. <laughs> um, wow, almost and, cut them off. Uh, yeah, there there is likely a chance that because Claymont doesn't have local say, local power, local influence like that, in that regard, yes, it, it is likely that Claymont was negatively impacted by some of those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And and again, you know, what, this is my education. When I sit here and I interview all of the public servants and the politicians and all of these uh, advocates that I talk to, you know, I, I did so many drugs and, and cake parties, you know, in college. I didn't I didn't make it through college. Right. So this is my college education, me asking these questions. And, and I know that there's got to be somebody else out there who doesn't have all the answers. So that's why I ask all of these questions. So to educate myself Absolutely. as well as as my listening my listening audience. Absolutely, and just to piggyback off of such an outstanding point you made when it comes to the history of redlining, and just to clarify to the listening audience, redlining is where. Uh, communities of color would uh, try to come into, try to move into certain communities, and they would physically draw on the map red lines of where these communities were allowed to move to. Mm -hmm. And my 7th House District was an area that initially had deed covenants written into the the Civic Association, Homeowners Association bylaws that, you know, people of color weren't allowed to live in some of these communities. And that's why I'm honored to be the first person of color elected locally north of the city limits of Wilmington. People often think that because I'm a man of color that I represent the city, I'm two districts north of the city limits. So representing Claymont, Brandy 100, the Ardens, Gwynhurst, Hollyoke, that very, that, that area, we've grown more diverse but there was once a time when we weren't even allowed to live in some of these communities. I've had the honor of even meeting some of the individuals that were the first to integrate some of these communities. Mr. Little John was the first person of color to integrate Overlook Colony. And I did a proclamation at his funeral earlier this year. Um, one of the neighbors in Norwood shared with me that she helped to bring in her neighbor, the first person of color to integrate the community of Norwood. And um, I, my family, I remember growing up in, in the Riverside area of Claymont off of Governor Prince. I remember that there weren't other kids that looked like me in my neighborhood <laughs> outside of the Harbor House apartments. So, um, so again, I'm just really honored to take this journey and to help uh, show that this is what diverse leadership looks like. This is what it looks like when our elected officials more adequately reflect the beautiful diversity of our communities. Has it been tough on you being a man of color, as you say, uh, you know, a black, brown, golden, indigenous, uh, Native American, you know, like has it been, have you had to face your share of opposition in politics with this? So um, I'm honored to represent my community. Um, there are challenges that come along with it. Um, however, uh, it, would, it would surprise people some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Um, I remember when I was first considering running for office, when I said I put my feelers out there and 
the first five people that I talked to about potentially running, you know, politicos, different individuals, uh, I asked them and one of their initial questions was, do you think your community is ready for a black man to represent them? And these weren't people that are of my demographic asking me this. And for me, it's like, that's a part of the journey. I remember um, when I was putting together my uh, literature for engaging in the community, and individuals were telling me I need to have a tie on in every image. People were telling me that I need to mention that I graduated from college and on, on every piece of material. And it's like, although that's small, it measures up, it adds up. So for me, I keep it business, I keep it community centered. Um, I'm happy, I'm positive, but there are little things that come along with being the first person of color. Yeah, and being a black man. Absolutely. Uh, there's an incident. It, it went viral, Delaware viral on the uh, on the Internet. But basically, there was an incident that happened a year ago where I was in a housing committee meeting and an individual started yelling at the black female chair of the committee. And I had to physically stand up between him and her. And I yelled at him, point of order, you need to calm down. And at some point, you know, I'll share that clip with you in case we're able to share it. But that incident was so intense for individuals that it came up a year later, like like people going through this. So for me, I'm ready to defend my sisters. I'm all I'm built for this, but it shouldn't be happening. It's wholly unacceptable. It's wholly unprofessional. And do you think there was any punitive measure against that man for doing that? Absolutely not. Do you not. think that he was even censured or, or corrected for doing that? Absolutely not. And you didn't even have to be there to know that. We know that there there aren't punitive measures for, for coming at our sisters that way. That's not acceptable. That's why your vote matters. That's why leadership matters. Well, I'll say this much, and, and, and it may not apply to every single black, brown, and golden woman, but most of us if you get in our face, <laughs> you're a black man, you know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. So for those that aren't and you get up in our face, uh, it may not work out the way you had planned it to. Because right, right. <laughs> we quick to put our hand on our hip and our <laughs> finger up and, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot thank you enough. There aren't enough words to say thank you for doing this and for sharing this information. Um, I definitely want to work with you and talk with you about some things now that I like I'm totally blown away I don't know how I got in this position but I'm going to do my best to serve my community in any way that I possibly can do that so I I need your guidance and leadership I'm also going to reach out to Michelle Harley she used to do president of civic association stuff so I'm going to ask her as well um if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or if they wanted to ask more questions about a bill or maybe be proactive and try to support you, how would someone go about doing that? Absolutely. Thank you so much. If somebody wants to email me, they can reach out to me at Larry.Lambert at Delaware.gov. And we'll spell Lambert as L-A-M-B-E-R-T. L-A-M-B-E-R-T. And also my website, if anybody wanted to uh, consider kindly making a donation or just seeing more of what I'm up to, my website is LarryForDelaware.com. 
LarryFordDelaware.com. If you want to get involved, be a part of the change, make a financial donation. Come on, you know, you can buy your cigarettes and your other stuff. You can put $5 in the box, all right? Uh, it's LarryFordDelaware.com. Larry Lambert, House Representative for the 7th District. Am I saying that That's right? Correct. All right. Uh, but I'm so happy that he's in politics and that he is one of our public servants because honestly he's doing big things and he needs our support so let's make sure that we support him i'm rochelle wilson i love you so much thank you so much for allowing me again into your home your car wherever you are right now thank you for allowing larry and i to come and sit with you for this hour to make some intelligent noise right here at whge 95.3 fm your one and your only Black-owned, Black-operated news information and advocacy and education station for the entire city of Wilmington, maybe the state of Delaware. But you can always find us on the World Wide Web at WHGE95.3.com. I'm Rochelle Wilson. Thank you so much. God bless you. Be good to yourselves. But remember, be good to others because karma is what? Say it loud. Karma is real. Peace and grace. Enjoy the day and drink plenty of water.